Hello, everyone. How you guys doing? Welcome to our annual Vision and Prayer Night. Tonight is a very special evening because it's our 10-year anniversary. And yes. And we're back where it all started, right in this room. On January of 2010, we opened the doors, not quite sure what was going to happen, only that we knew with everything inside of us that God had called us to start a church right in the middle of the Castro District of San Francisco. And the fear that we felt in those moments and in that moment would only be matched by faith in the God who stepped into our world and the person of Jesus to proclaim the gospel. And now we really felt like it was our turn to step into a world which we didn't really know that well and to begin to proclaim that same good news in Christ's power. And tonight we want to celebrate what that good news of Jesus has done. And we want to look forward in prayer and anticipation to what's next. But before we go any further, tonight we want to stop and we want to begin by praying and we want to begin by singing. Singing has been something that has been a mainstay in our church since day one. And to lead us as we start tonight, we have Jason Stevens and Kristen Grunick who are back. This is really, really cool because if you don't know these two, Jason and Kristen are both founding members of this church and they were our church's first worship leaders. Both of them were on staff in the early days and a lot of what God has done in the worship life of our church over the past 10 years has been through the hard work and the seeds of faithfulness planted by Jason and Kristen. And so we bless you, we honor you, we thank you both for what you've done your faithfulness. We're really happy to have these two leading us tonight. So first of all, by a show of hands, who was a part of our church when we were in this room? Show, raise your hands if you were. Look at that. Just like, like a few of you, it's just awesome. Thank you for being here. Some of you guys were here. Who was here from day one? Raise your hand. Oh, come on. That's right. I think I see my wife back there. She's like, day zero. Um, all right, would you stand? Let's pray. Let's thank God. God, we just want to say thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness to us. Thank you. Uh, I remember how uh, nervous I was the very, very, very first time we walked into this very building. And um, I looked at Tarek and I said, this room is way too big. And um, thank you for filling this room with uh, your people and more importantly, your presence. Thank you for being so faithful to meet with us. Thank you for the songs that came out of uh, this, uh, this church that met in this building, uh, the salvation, the baptisms, um, the, the time people spent on the carpets here, the prayer team. I just, all of the life that happened in this room at the early days of our church, I just say thank you, God. We pray tonight as we look, um, we look back, we look forward, we ask that we would, you would be just with us in, in our midst, that you would uh, permeate our imagination and infuse in our minds faith for what's next. Um, we love you. We sing to you, and we, we believe that as we do, Lord, you, you just draw near. Like you just draw really near when we sing. So I pray that um, as we do that now, uh, you'd be with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, um, Star Wars just completed its nine-part saga. And uh, it's been fun to hear everyone who's like a huge Star Wars nerd or purist or whatever they want to call themselves argue for or against the latest movie. 
mainly against, I mean, I'm not in that camp, but whatever. Um, and it all has to do with the canon. Did they honor the canon? How did they reach back into the canon to tie up all the loose ends of all the storylines? Now, everyone wanted the story to grow, and they wanted the story to change and to resolve, but everyone, all the nerds and the purists, wanted to make sure that it was honoring and taking into consideration the canon. Now, the canon of any story or text are the founding documents, the official works and history of something. And these works and documents are considered to be the most important or most influential to how the story plays out. Now, why am I talking about Star Wars at annual vision and prayer night. Well, my hope and intent for this night is to try and canonize the themes and values of our church into the heartbeat of our community by looking at the history of how we got here to make sure we know and honor our own canon of how we're here and who we are right now, how we're Reality San Francisco right now. See, we're in this middle of, uh, of these establishing years, we're calling them, uh, a couple of years ago at AVP, I've been, uh, actually the last few years at AVP, I've been talking about how the long vision of our church is, uh, the first seven years was the building phase of our church, and we went through that, and we're here, we, we've built the church, and now we're in this establishing seven-year phase of our church, and hopefully 14 years plus in, we'll be in the flourishing stage of our church, but the establishing phase of the church is really important because we're trying to establish who we are as a church to make sure... Everything in, in the DNA of our church, the fabric of our church um, is, is solidified, it's there. And a part of that is, is what I want to talk about tonight. How do we canonize some of the, 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 the themes and the values of, of our church? Now, in preparation for tonight, I reflected on the past 10 years of our church. And I was writing out the key memories and events, recalling stories and milestone, uh, milestones and heartbreaks and setbacks and two trips to the ER um, when I thought I was having a heart attack, and uh, triumphs of the last decade. And I saw three themes emerge, kind of like what happens when you do a, a life map. So when you do a life map, the themes that emerge typically point to values and, and even identity. These values and identity not only played a part in shaping your past, they also are the redemptive edge of taking you into your future if you pay attention. For us at Reality San Francisco, the themes that emerged as I was going through the history of our church were faith and prayer and worship as a response to God. And there's a reason why we're here at the Swedish American Hall tonight, why we asked Jason and Kristen to lead again, and why I'm about to dive back into some of the stories, many of them personal to me, of how we got here. Because it's like rowing. When you row, the way you move forward is to look back. And that's what we're going to do here tonight. We're looking back. We're not just for nostalgic's sake. We're not here in this room because it's nostalgic and we had Jason Christenley because it's nostalgic. That's not, why, that's not the only reason why. Ten years in, we're back here because we're trying to, to codify and to solidify some of the things that, of how we got here. And we're looking back so that we can go forward well. So I want, to start, I want to talk about faith. I want to talk about prayer. I want to talk about worship and the kind of found, foundational documents of our church. So to start to talk about faith, I want to, I want to start in Bakersfield, California. Bakersfield. This is where I'm from, okay? Bakersfield is a relatively, there's some people here tonight from Bakersfield. Bakersfield is a relatively small place, not known for many things outside of like bad air quality and country music and agriculture. It's the most conservative city in California. It's where Ashley and I are from. It's also where Jason Stevens is from and Matt Barrios on staff and Sophie Ramirez is on staff. The list goes on. The list goes on to many other people here even tonight. And it was from this small place 
that God called Ashnai into an even smaller place, Carpinteria, California, population 13,000 people, okay? It was there that I met Britt Merrick, um, the founder of Reality, and I told him that I believed that God was calling me to plant a church. And I remember he said, well, where do you think God's calling to plant a church? I said, maybe Bakersfield, maybe Santa Clarita, this is a small little town north of L.A., and I remember he gave me this really, really weird look like, maybe we should ask God what he wants. <laughs> and we did ask God. At that point, we didn't know. We asked God. And the first thing that we started to ask God is if he wanted me to quit my job in Bakersfield as a youth pastor and sell our house and cash in our 401k and move to Carpinteria to work at a bank and begin this process of like a church plant residency program with Reality Carpinteria. I was 29 years old. I owned a home with Ashley. We were married for like five or so years, had a career that was headed toward being a senior pastor, yada, 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 blah, blah, blah. Did, did, did I want to leave all of that on a hunch that God was calling me to plant a church? And where? At that point, I had no idea. And so Ashley and I began to fast and we began to pray. And one night, God woke me up at 4 a.m., which at that point was not typical. I was young and I slept amazing. Now, that happens all the time, right? <laughs> all the time. So I woke up at 4 a.m. I was tossing and I was turning, my mind racing through all the options of what could be. And then I heard, and probably the clearest voice up to that point that I had ever heard God, God said to me, I always honor faith. That's what he said. I always honor faith. That's all I heard, those words. I'm like, what do I do? What do I do? Should I do this? Should I do that? What if this happens? I'm playing out all the scenarios. And I just heard, I always honor faith. And I remembered, I recalled in my mind, Abraham and his journey. Abraham, uh, the father of faith, being called away. And to where? He wasn't told either. God just told him, go and I will show you. And there's this famous Hebrews passage that comes to mind. Um, we call it the hall of faith. And in this passage in, in chapter 11 of Hebrews, it says, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to the place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. And I remember thinking, well, if that was good enough for him, and I got out of bed, and I got on my computer, and I opened up AOL. I'm just joking. It, it wasn't that long ago. Right? So I opened up whatever, and I emailed Brett, and I, and I said, God just spoke to me, and we have to talk. And he emailed right back, four in the morning, and he said, this Friday, come over to CARP. Let's chat. God spoke to us, too, because the elders were praying at Reality CARP if we should join the church. And Britt and I, when I got there, sat in the attic of the church in CARP, and I told him what God said. I said, God told me in the middle of the night that he always honors faith. And Ash and I, we're going to sell everything. And we're going to move to CARP and to see if this church planning thing is real or not. And then I turned to him and I said, what did God tell you? What did God tell you guys as you guys were praying? And he said, I'm not going to tell you that. <laughs> all, all I'll say is this. He didn't say no. And we hear no a lot when we pray for church planners. And should we join with this, this church plan? We hear that a lot. But he didn't say no, and that's all I'll say. And I said, why? Why won't you tell me? Why won't you tell me what God said to you guys? And he said, one day, you'll be in whatever city God calls you to, and, you'll, and it'll be in the middle of the night, and you'll want out. You'll be tossing and turning in the middle of the night, and you'll want out of everything. You'll second guess everything you've ever done by moving your family to start a church in whatever city you're called to, and you'll want to fall back in that moment on something that I said to you, and that won't do. You need to fall back on what God himself said to you. So go with what God said to you, and we'll see you in a couple months. 
And at that moment, this is a really important moment, in that moment, forged in the DNA of this church here at Rally San Francisco, would be a call to trust and believe in faith. Things that go against convention, things that don't make sense on paper. This church does not make sense on paper. Things that would take and require a lot of risk. And that was like just the beginning. It would take faith for what was next. Ash and I moved to CARP, and after I got fired from an entry-level job at a bank working at Starbucks when I turned 30 years old, true story, God would call us to plant a church in San Francisco. Now, the thought of me being here at that time was insane. I have a high school diploma, and that's it. I'm from Bakersfield. The church that was sending us to plant here was from a little surf town known for growing flowers. We had no business starting a church in San Francisco. It was July 4th, Independence Day, of 2007. And that's when I first heard God whisper this city into my heart and my mind. I was reading Isaiah, and I got to Isaiah chapter 9, and it says, uh, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light, and, and those, on those living in the land of deep darkness, the light has dawned. And I remember reading those words, and I heard in the smallest whisper possible, San Francisco. And I took a pencil, not a pen, pencil that you can erase later, and I wrote that, that San Francisco in quotes really small at the bottom of my Bible. And a week eight later, Ash comes up to me and she said, have you been praying about San Francisco? I remember I gave her this really dirty look and I said, have you been reading my Bible? Like, <laughs> you have your own Bible. You don't need to be reading my Bible. And she said, oh, I know, th- I think God has been putting that city on my heart. And then Britt came up to me, I think maybe a week later or something, and said, um, you need to call a woman named Angela. She has a, a word for you, like a prophetic word for you. So I, I call her. I haven't met her. I don't know this, this person. And she said, I, I had a dream. And she goes, I think it was the first prophetic dream I've ever had in my life. She goes, in, in my dream, I saw the next birth of the next reality church. It was the first Sunday. People were everywhere worshiping. And then all of a sudden, I got this panoramic view of San Francisco, and I realized that the church was in San Francisco. And I realized that the church, when it was in San Francisco, it was, it was there, but there was like this dark, almost demonic cloud that hung over the city. And all of a sudden, a hand reached out from heaven, broke through that darkness, opened the roof to where we were meeting, and fluttering lights came out that almost looked like butterflies and took over the darkness, and then, then I woke up. She said, I don't know what it means or if that resonates with you at all. <laughs> and, and so then I said, I, um, and I, I, I opened my Bible and I read to her Isaiah 9. This is what God told, spoke to me. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Those living in a land of deep darkness, the light has dawned. And she started weeping. The first Sunday, we're gathering here in this room, the room that we're in right now. And it was packed, the very first Sunday. People singing, bodies everywhere, and it got hot. It got really hot in here. And the house manager for the Swedish hall thought it was getting too hot in here, so he pulled open those skylights that are right above there. They used to have this really cool, ominous red film over them that would cast this red glow all over, and it was so cool and vibey. Some people thought they were like in hell, but I loved it. I thought like, (laughs) I loved it. Anyways, so he pulls open these, these skylights, to open the windows, the, 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 the windows, and light came running in, like flooding in, and I ran up to him, and I'm like, dude, you're killing the vibe in here. It's second set, man. It's supposed to be vibey. You're killing the vibe. 
And then at that very minute, the vision struck me. The roof literally opened on the first Sunday. God said to me in Bakersfield, I always honor faith. And like all the dots started connecting. Acts of faith have been a large part of how we have made decisions as a church. How we made the decision to even start this church were all huge acts of faith. People who started this church, some 20 people, some of them here tonight, moved their entire lives here to help start this church. And many of them, most of them, are still here, rooted deeply in the city, working toward its renewal. They all moved here by faith, most of them without jobs, just a call from God to be a part of this church. You'll read a few of their stories in something that we'll be handing out at the end. And they moved their lives here. And the stories of their own God moments to come up here are very similar to the ones I'm telling you now. When for them, faith felt like taking a big risk on a church plant from Carpinteria, California with a couple from Bakersfield, California. I think of Tarek, our co-founder, who, who came up here and helped me start this church, started this church with the sacrifices that he made and driving up every single weekend from when he didn't even live here yet, still trying to find a job and a house here, but knowing that God called him here, driving up every weekend to set up chairs and get this whole thing running. And there were other moves of faith throughout the years. From that moment on, many other acts of faith, starting the church in the Castro district. I have a, a journal entry, and I'll talk about my journal in a second, but I have a journal entry how I, I said, quote, God, we just want to be in the pra- place that brings you the most glory. And we felt like God had led us here to the Castro. And whenever I talked to people that, uh, that knew about San Francisco that we're starting here, they said, oh, yeah, don't, don't start there. Your church, your church will never take off there. Or when we were uh, a couple of years old and we felt like, oh, my gosh, we're like, I think we're at that point where a, a few, two or three services in, we're like, we, we, I think we did it. We think we started a church. I think we did it. Okay, we can all rest and, and relax now. We, we started the church. And us feeling like, no, we have to continue to take steps of faith. Like what feels like would take the most faith? And we had this idea of starting very public Easter services across from City Hall. And so we rented out this little theater called the Herbst Theater. And we're like, let's just do I remember walking into that going, something's going to happen here that's not going to be good. This is either going to be really good or really bad. And now it's like a staple in our church that we, we, we meet in the Opera House, across the street from City Hall, proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus every single Easter in San Francisco. That took a ton, and still does, takes a ton of risk, a ton of faith. Or when we shut down our entire church to serve the city. We have always wanted to do things that caused us the most faith as a church. And oftentimes, faith is spelled risk. Faith is woven into the founding of this church. It's a part of our story. And 10 years in, with some success in starting a, a very beautiful and fairly large church in the, one of the hardest and most unchurched cities in America, we can probably start trusting in ourselves or the things, the fact that we've, we've done it. We have enough money and influence and people and staff. We can just kind of lean back on that. And what I'll say tonight is that will kill us. That will kill us as a church. We must have and continue our faith, our risky faith in Christ. I'm reminded of St. Paul's words to the Galatian church. He said, don't finish in the flesh what began in the spirit. And those are words to live by as a church. Don't do that. 
faith. The second thing is prayer. That's the other thing that had come up when I was looking back at the history of this church is a history of prayer. After Isaiah 9 and the dream that was shared about with me about San Francisco and the roof being open, you think that would have been enough to get me to believe that God was calling me here to the city. And that was very compelling. But I asked for more. I asked God to make it clear to me where I would, I would know, like, I, w- I would know that God was calling me. So in prayer one night, I was at the church at Reality Carp, and I was on my knees in the back of the sanctuary, and I was praying. And as you may know, I'm like really, I'm like super into shoes. I've always been into shoes. I like shoes, okay? Like your, I like shoes. Oh, okay, yeah, I won't, I won't get into it. I really like shoes. And I believe that God speaks to us in our own language, and I happen to speak shoes. So <laughs> I was on my knees in the back of the sanctuary, and I hear God say to me, Dave, what shoes do you have on? And I was really taken off guard. I was just, um, this is a really weird conversation. Is this God? Is this my own head? Am I, like, am I like, like squirreling right now in shoes? Like, what's going on? Like, shoes? Yeah, yeah what shoes do you have on? And I, re- I remembered that I had these, I, I was wearing this pair of shoes because Ash and I were having a conversation earlier that day about some, of the, some shoes that she wanted. I'm like, oh, yeah, that reminds me of a pair of shoes that I have that I haven't worn in forever. So I go into the bed, I dust them off, and I put them on, and they're on my feet, and I had forgotten. I was like, oh, yeah, these shoes, these, these leather shoes I'm wearing. And I thought about it, and as soon as I remember that I was wearing these shoes, I remember that I bought these shoes in San Francisco, like some seven years before this. And at that moment, God walked me through the city, everywhere I walked on that trip in this city. And he said, take your feet, shod with the good news, back to that city, and proclaim the gospel. Prayer and encountering God in prayer has always been one of the cornerstones of this church. Prayer expresses our dependency on God. And this was crucial because we were trying to plant a church in San Francisco, this city where everyone told us churches go to die. When we were saying, we're going to plant a church in San Francisco, oh yeah, that's where churches go to die. One pastor of a really well-known church in the city, when I told him that God had called us to plant here, said to me that he hasn't seen a rooted, successful church plant in the city since the late 80s, but good luck. We didn't start this church with mailers or interest meetings or bus ads, and to be honest, we probably would have if I would have thought we had a great plan to start this church, (laughs) but we didn't. All we knew was God called us here, and we didn't know what the heck we were doing. So what do you do when you don't know what to do? You ask God, and it was that simple. We started with these things called prayer tours, bringing groups of people to the city to walk the streets. We got people from Reality Carpinteria and Reality LA and Reality Stockton. Those are our like sister churches. And we like we all we took groups of sometimes over a hundred people to come and walk the city and pray, to breathe in the city and breathe out prayers to God, to take in the good, the bad, enjoy its coffee, its pho, all that stuff, to take it in and then breathe out prayers. Our mantra when we're on our prayer tour was this talk to God about the city before we talk to the city about God. This was like such a, we had nothing to say to the city until we were talking to God, like, God, what's your heart for this place? I gave explicit instructions to anyone on the prayer tour that they were not allowed to evangelize. I mean, I think that's kind of anti-gospel a little bit, maybe, but I was like, don't evangelize. You're not allowed to talk about the church. You're only here to pray. pray. You're like prayer spies, and that was it. (laughs) Just pray in the city. We did four of these. Here's a picture of them. I think we're on Bernal here. And we'd go to high places all over the city and we would pray. 
And these prayer tours forged a heart of prayer into the root system of our church. And the desire for prayer continued. When Ash and I moved here in 2009, the first thing we did was we began prayer meetings. In October of 2009, we began prayer meetings on Page Street in Hayes Valley in the home of Justin Stig Olson, who are here sitting over there somewhere tonight. And I invited a very small group of people with an email that read like this. This is the exact email I sent out. It said this. Reality is beginning our presence in San Francisco a little old school. We're starting with a prayer meeting, just a prayer meeting, a gathering of people, normal people, and maybe even some people that get a bit nervous about praying out loud, together praying for the needs of our city to a transcendent God who hears and acts. We believe that before we can radically pour our lives out in service to San Francisco, we must go to the fount from which all passion and compassion flow. We believe that before we can be part of his kingdom come, his will be done on earth, we must open our mouths and pray, our Father who art in heaven. The first century church started with a prayer meeting, and Sunday night, Reality San Francisco gets to be part of that historic stream. That was probably the first official email our church ever received, was inviting them to a prayer meeting. And at that prayer meeting, the Olson's house, we had 28 people that showed up that night. And I thought, I taught that night on why we are starting our church with a prayer meeting. It was my very first three-point sermon in this church. And it went like this. We prioritize prayer at Reality SF out of dependence, out of desperation, and out of desire. And my little sermonette went something like this. Actually, it went exactly like this because I still have the notes. It went like this. We are dependent. I said, we pray because we are dependent on Jesus as the head of the church. The correct understanding of Jesus as the head of the church keeps us from taking an unhealthy ownership of ministry and keeps us focused on being obedient and dependent on Christ and doing everything that we do with him. I said, through prayer, we are expressing our need for Jesus as a collective community and looking to him for direction for the church. Through prayer, we submit our thoughts, ideas, and plans to Jesus. And then I took them to John 15. I said, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And that wasn't hyperbole. We can do nothing apart from Jesus. We are completely dependent on him. And I said, we are dependent on God to give us love for the city. I said, we're dependent on God to give us grace for the city. I said, we're dependent on God to give us a burden for ministry in the city. And I said, we are dependent on God to bring healing and wholeness to the city through our hands. And then the second point I gave that night was, I said, we pray because we're desperate. I said, the situation of starting a Jesus-glorifying church in San Francisco doesn't suggest we pray, it demands we pray. Seeing the enormity of the problems in our city, we can't escape our need for God. We're desperate for God to move. If we think we can minister in this city by our own strength and love or our own education or training, we are sadly mistaken. Desperation is epitomized in 2 Chronicles 20 when King Jehoshaphat was up against an army too big and too insurmountable for Israel. And he cried out to God and said, we are powerless and do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Then I said to this very small group of people, that is our posture, desperation. We're desperate for God to move in our lives and in our church and in our city. And the last point of this little mini sermon was, it is our desire to pray. It is not our desire to pray so that we get answers or power, but it is our desire to pray to get God. Through prayer, we draw near to God. He is the goal and he is the prize. And then I shared a quote from Leonard Ravenhill that said, converts often take on the atmosphere in which they are born. We want to be a people whose chief desire is God, and we want every convert to be born into that atmosphere. Then I concluded this little sermonette by saying, it's true that we're dependent on Jesus as the head of the church, 
And it's true that we're desperate for, to see God move in our city, but it's more, more true that we desire God most. He is not a means to an end. He is a chief end. And that was the end of the sermon. And I think it still preaches, because I just did it. I literally just <laughs> preached it right now. And I want you to know that this is true. Like, th- these aren't just words. I, w- I, w- I wasn't just making this up. I wasn't like, oh, what are the three Ds that all go together? I kind of was doing that. But, <laughs> but that desperation thing was real. We felt that here. Like, we desperately need God to move. Um, this is a journal that I've kept from 2008. Two years, right, as soon as we heard, I heard God call us to plant a church, I bought a little moleskin, used to make um, city journals. This is a San Francisco one. It's out of print right now, but um, I, I have mine. And, and uh, I just kept journal entries of every trip here, what God was speaking to me. I want to read one to you now. It's, it's from um, February 17th, 2008. Ash and I were in the city on Van Ness at the Opal Hotel Room. And um, this is what I wrote. I said, I, ch- I think if I choose SF, I'm choosing my death. I'm choosing a slow death of ministry, calling, friends, quality of life for my family. Last night, I wrestled with a demonic power. I don't know what kind. Maybe a demon over SF. I'm sure there are many. Was woken up from a deep sleep at least three times and sick to my stomach to the point of almost vomiting. I believe the power said something like leave or get out of my city or something to that effect. I stood, I took my place in Christ, I prayed in Jesus' name. Three different times I remember praying and three different times sick to my stomach. I need the confidence in knowing that Jesus is calling me into this work. When I say that we were desperate for God to move and our desire was for God, this wasn't just things that church planters say. We felt this, I felt this so deeply, page after page of going, are you sure, God? Are you sure, God? Why me? I don't know if I should do this. Now, if you ever wondered what makes Reality SF so unique, why God's presence seems to permeate our church, I believe it's partly because people have prayed. I believe people prayed way before we got here for this church, and we prioritized prayer in the birth of this church, and God heard these prayers and answered these prayers. And the last thing I want to say about prayer is that we prayed from the very first prayer meeting for intercessors. The first prayer meeting we had was uh, in Ash and I, our apartment in Carpinteria, June 28, 2008. And the first thing I have written down in this journal from that night was this. Pray for intercessors in SF and for SF. It's the very first thing we prayed for for this church, Intercessors. And Linda Hale, who was here last night, carried that torch from Carpinteria to San Francisco. Linda Hale is a part of our community. If you don't know her, you should figure out who she is and get to know her. She's incredible. She lived in Ventura, went to Reality Carp, and when her and her husband, Scott, moved here, she carried this intercessory ministry from there here. Reality Carpinteria has an incredible intercessory ministry. I remember they prayed for us, and Linda came here, and I remember there was a moment when the intercessors in Carp said, we're going to... We're going to move our efforts from intercessory prayer from San Francisco to Boston because that's our next church plant, and Linda has it. And Linda started uh, intercessory ministry here, and she handed the leadership off to David and Malia McKinney and Joe and Becky Tucson and the army of intercessors we have at this church, which are basically the engine of this church. The second thing that we prayed for in these little gatherings in my apartment was for worship. That was the second thing I had written down in my journal, and that's the third value. We honestly believed and still do that a moment in God's presence can answer a lifetime of questions. 
I was recently reading about the life of St. Ignatius. One day, young Ignatius was sitting by a river in Spain when he experienced God in a way that allowed him to see the world with new eyes and to find God everywhere. He said about that day in his autobiography that he learned more about God and the world in that one moment than he did throughout the rest of his life. And we believe that God still does that, and oftentimes he does that when we're responding to him in worship. We have prioritized worship and music and responding to God moment when I, I, I end the sermon, it's done, and now God's spirit, let move. Move in ways through our taking, receiving communion or kneeling in carpets or going to the prayer team. Move in ways that open our eyes, and we pray for that, and it happens every single week. So that's it. Faith, prayer, and worship as response. My hope tonight was to share the story of this church 10 years in, not as revisionist history. All this stuff was taken from my journals, and when I die, Ash will make them available to everyone who, who wants them. <laughs> the hope was to make, these, to make these themes and values part of the canon of our church, part of what will carry us into our future. This is how we began and sustained this church over the first 10 years. Even if you've been here for a few months or just a couple years and didn't know the history of this church, this is how we do everything now and we will do everything moving forward. Linda Hale texted me yesterday morning and she said, um, she didn't know what I was going to talk about at AVP. This is way different than any AVP we've done so far. She goes, um, I was praying for AVP. She lit- I think she literally said in the third watch of last night. I don't know what that, I think that's intercessor talk. <laughs> I don't know what time that means. In the third watch of the night, I was praying, and um, she said, and I, I heard this. She said, I heard God say that at ABP, we need to renew our vows to Jesus. I'm like, that's literally what I'm talking about. So I had this sense that uh, a lot of people have moved to San Francisco, and you know, we haven't been faithful spouses of Christ. And we need to go back to the place where it all began as a church, and we need to renew our vows. We need to say, yes, Lord. I'm like, that, that's it. Linda, that's what I, yes, that's it. We renew our vows. Yes, we will believe in faith. We will intercede in prayer for the city and we will respond to you in worship with all of our lives. So what's next for our church? Well, there's a lot that we do know and there's a lot that we do not know. But what we must get right in whatever is next is the way that we will move into our future is through trusting in God through faith, depending on God in prayer, and responding to God in worship. So without any further ado, here are some of the things that we're working on for 2020 and beyond. This year's annual theme is renewal. I'm really excited about this. I, I, we launched this on Sunday with, the, with uh, the beginning of our vision series. We desire a renewed vision, meaning the vision that God gave us for this church to be renewed and refreshed in all of our lives, to dig up the founding documents of our church and go, what, what, what were we called here for? To go back to that again. As a part of that, um, after I'm done with the vision series, we're gonna start through that, the entire year, we're gonna be teaching through the book of Acts in a year-long series that we're calling A People Empowered. And I'm really excited about um, the artwork for this. It's like um, modern uh, Coptic iconography. And in iconography, um, if someone's divine in iconography, they have usually like a, a halo around or a circle around their head. And um, if they're not, they, uh, they have a flame over their head, which uh, talks about the spirit of God upon them. And this, um, this uh, art signifies that. 
that every single one of us is empowered by the Spirit of God. And so we're going to dive into the book of Acts, and I'm really looking forward to it, and how um, the, 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 the people of God were renewed by the Spirit and then sent out as empowered people. Throughout the year, we're going to be pausing our, our, our study in Acts to do like deep dives in, in specific areas of renewal. So this year, we're going to do a series on renewal on the poor. We're going to do a series on renewal and justice, renewal and work, renewal and money, renewal and technology. That'll be a fun one. And we'll also be doing another mini-series in the gospel and race when we get to Acts chapter 10, when the gospel goes to the Gentiles. And we also plan on doing a race summit in the fall through a pastoral residency that I can't tell you about now, but I'm really, really stoked about. We're also bringing back Serve the City this year, where we mobilize our entire church and have everyone out serving throughout the city. We're also working on monthly outreach and renewal events um, on like a local level, uh, a micro level versus a a congregational wide level. Um, Next thing I want to talk about are some moves we need to make in our staff this year. And um, I want you to know about them so you can pray about this and get behind these things. These are changes that are setting us up well in the establishing years of our church. We're expanding our staff and pastoral leadership in the areas of two key hires this next year. One is that we're going to be looking for a pastor or minister of discipleship and formation. And we're going to be looking for a pastor or minister of justice and outreach. And I want you to think of it like this. If the vision of our church is um, a community following Jesus seeking renewal in our city, there's going to be a pastor over the community following Jesus part and a pastor over the seeking renewal in our city part. Now, everyone's involved in everything, but specifically over these areas to make sure that discipleship and formation gets fused into everything that we do, overseeing all the community groups, all, this, all, this other, all these things that are happening to make sure that we're doing this well and justice and outreach. Now, both of these are very high-level people, and that will stretch us financially, but we also believe that this will help us be a discipling and training and sending church. This is really, really, really important to us. Next, when we hired uh, Dale Gustafson, who is our um, executive director and has been such a godsend to our staff and our church, um, he comes from a Baptist background. And there are a great many things that Baptist traditions, the Baptist tradition does well. One of them is follow-up ministry. You guys remember follow-up ministry? Follow-up with people who visit and go to your church. That's a really important thing that we have not historically done that well. People just can dip in and dip out and like, were you there? I don't know. Who knows? Who knows if you ever came to this church? That sort of thing. So we asked him, can you work with our team to put together a plan for really healthy, really healthy follow-up so that people could be known in our church, they can make their needs known in our church? So part of what we, uh, we want to do to feel smaller and more personal as a church um, Rather than, you know, when you come on a weekly basis and the church is so, you know, big, so on and so forth, um, is that uh, we want you to, to sign up for a communication tool that we're calling uh, our Reality SF card. It's like a card, but it's more of a digital card. And you can sign up at realitysf.com slash card when you, when you leave. And it gives everyone an opportunity to express interest and getting involved, who you are, where you're from, also ways that you can pr- we can pray for you. So when you put something down as a prayer request, it goes to uh, our prayer team and goes to our elders so we can pray for you, so we can have connection there and do follow-up really, really well. So we're really excited about that, to make our church feel more connected, and that we're connected to you and you're connected to us to do this, um, this thing called CARD. Uh, next, we are talking, I want to talk about two gatherings. On January 26th, we begin two gatherings. 
It took a, a, a lot of faith for us to shut down Sunday night church. And with a church our size and our age, um, we should probably be thinking about how we can expand and grow. Maybe you might expect in a 10-year kind of vision night to be hear something about how we're expanding and planting a multi-site church or whatever. That seems like an obvious next step. But actually, by faith, we're trying to get smaller as a church. We'll be going from a 1,700-seat capacity church to a 1,400-seat capacity church, doing two morning gatherings and starting what we are calling a discipleship school on Sunday mornings. Now, if you were at church on Sunday, it was very, very, very full in there, and um, this is going to be a risk. But what we're going to say is if you're part of our church, we want you to be uh, serving and or in discipleship school. See, God has called us to build resilient disciples that root themselves in SF and resilient disciples that we send from SF all over the world. This is something I've been working on for a couple of years now because we've realized over the course of our 10 years here, we've sent thousands of people through transients out of San Francisco. And instead of looking at it as turnover, we turn over 600 people a year or whatever. Instead of looking at it as turnover, we want to look at it as sending people. So it's our desire to make resilient disciples at RSF unto rootedness or unto sentness. We want to help you be resilient disciples if you root yourself in San Francisco like hundreds of people have done over the, the course of 10 years in our church, have rooted themselves. Some of them have permanent, like bought homes in the city. Some of them like have long-term, like we're not leaving the city. Like I'm basing my, my decision to work here and to stay here because of this community. Or if you're called away, if for whatever reason you leave this city, we want to make sure that you're sent well into the world, into, the, into wherever you, you go to um, as a resilient disciple. Which is really why we're trying to get a little smaller and a little more intentional around discipleship. Because you know we've never really been interested in a big church. I remember we are a few months old, and um, my now really good friend, Francis Chan, came and moved to San Francisco, and he visited our church, and he sat like right over there. And not a single person knew who he was, and it was amazing. It was awesome. <laughs> and um, maybe one person knew who he was. Anyway, so that, he was just sitting there, and met him afterwards for breakfast, and we are having breakfast, and he's like, dude, the church is like growing a lot. And I remember those days, and that was happening, so... Um, what, are you, what are you gonna do? You're, you're out of seats. Like, what are you gonna do? I'm like, I don't know. We don't really know what we're gonna do. We just, he goes, are you gonna go to two services? Like, I, th- I think we might have to go to two because what's gonna happen after that? What do you mean? We won't grow beyond two services. There's no way. San Francisco, there's no way we'll go. What happens when you grow out of two services? You can go to three? I don't know, maybe. I don't know, maybe. What after that? Four? Four services? Like, no, no, never four, never four. <laughs> we had four services in this room at one time. That was when I went to the ER, by the way. And four services in this room. The, it was never in our mind that we would be a big church. It was never even our goal to be a big church. We're not interested in big church. We're interested in teaching people the way of Jesus, seeking renewal of the city, and we have to get very intentional around that. So part of doing what we're going to be doing is we're going to start we're starting courses in this discipleship school. I'll say more about this in two weeks' time, but we're having courses that will run... Uh, in a very symbiotic relationship with anyone who serves in our church, so you don't miss out on these things. Um, we'll have a course on biblical literacy, on prayer, on theology, on vocation, discerning God's calling, 
Uh, we'll have premarital finances. Sign up start this Sunday. Um, and uh, again, you'll be hearing more about this in two weeks. But this is part of the vision of why we went to two gatherings. The next thing, which is going to feel kind of big, is that in the fall of this year, we're going to be starting a building campaign. We want to be in a position as a church to say yes in the next probably two to five years to a permanent building in San Francisco for our church to gather in with a vision to start a center for Christian thought and practice. I'll talk more about what this is and permanence and rootedness and what I mean about all this stuff later and how getting a building fits into rootedness and building resilient disciples in San Francisco. I'll say more about that later, but right now what I want to say is this. We're working with a team in the next few months to put together a plan for this fall. We'll be identifying different groups of people to get you engaged in the process, so you might get an invite over the next few months to participate and to get your feedback. This is really important to us. I, had a very, I have a very prophetic pastor friend of mine who lives in London called Pete, and he had a word for me right after Ashley and I bought a home and moved into a, a home in San Francisco, which, miraculous, we never thought we'd own a home here. He said that once we got into a home, he said that he sensed God say that our home was the first fruits of what God wanted to do in our church, that God would bring our whole church into a home building soon. Be ready. And another longtime pastor who now lives in Reading, who used to be a pastor in San Francisco, had a similar dream, and he called me and said that he had a dream that Reality SF got property and took over a large building in SF. Well, this, the hope behind this building campaign is that we are in a position to say yes to this. Now, you might, may have noticed that I'm teaching on money this year, and we're doing a building campaign later this year, and you're like, dude, what's up with that? Can we talk about that for a second? Well, the elders... And I, we, we believe that this is an opportunity for our church to do some work in one of the wealthiest places in the world to one of the great barriers of intimacy with God, which is the love of money. Generosity seems to be synonymous with God's love. And we want to grow in that this year. Steps, incrementally. Some of us are way bigger than others, but we all want to grow in this area. Next, um, our year in review is up. It's beautiful this year. It's really good. It's on our website, realitysf.com slash 2019. You can go there when you're done here. We met our 2019 giving goal. We exceeded our giving goal, actually. We ended the year at $4.95 million. And with that, we raised $250,000 to give to Rice Prep and our local renewal partners that work with our youth. So we raised all of it. So praise God for that. And lastly, and I'm done here. Um, this next year, we're going uh, to start um, hosting some, this is um, the working title of these nights are Seek First uh, Worship and Prayer Nights. And our hope is to do about four or five of them next year. Our first one, hopefully, is on February 23rd at DPC on a Sunday night. And we really want, like, the way I'm thinking about these nights, I want these nights to be prayer, prophetic, um, worshiping the heart of God, going after the heart of God, going after God's heart for the city, intercessory prayer, things of the spirit, things like that, like go for it nights. Like we're gonna go for it in the spirit. That's what I, I want these nights to do. And I want to start embodying some of that even tonight. So our, our first one is the, the 23rd, but actually let's make our first one tonight. Let's move into a time, we call this annual vision and prayer because we wanna pray. And so how, how this will go is... Um, 
I'm going to ask you to stand in a couple seconds, and I'll have the worship team come back up, and we're going to stand, and we're going to, um, in a second, and just start thanking God out loud all together in your own sort of way. I mean, you could just scream, thank you, God, or you can just, <laughs> under your breath, just start, just, but we kind of want you to do it out loud. We want this to feel like just a roar of thanksgiving to God for what he's done. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for what you did in this room. Thank you, God, for what you've done in our church. Thank you, God, for what you've done the people that no longer go to our church, but were a huge part of this church starting, that sort of thing. Let's just thank God. And then we're going to sing a song. And then um, Joe Tucson's going to come up, one of our elders, and he's going to lead us in a time of listening prayer. And we're going to wait on God, we're going to listen to God, and we're going to speak out what we hear God saying. And then um, I'll come and join him, and we're going to move into time just intercessing, like lean into these things and pray. And then we're going to sing really loud and thank God. That's how the rest of the night's going to go. Cool? So would you stand with me?